Hey guys, welcome to the Behavior Tech's Anonymous podcast. I am your host, Ms. Ashley, and I'm a behavior tech. Let's reinforce some of my behaviors. Hi guys, welcome to the fourth episode of Behavior Tech's Anonymous. I am your sponsor, Ms. Ashley, and today we're going to get you bums a job. So let's assume at this point that you have gotten certified, congratulations, but now you need a job. Uh, Where you wanna work matters. We are able to work in communities, in homes, in clinics and schools, and each place brings on its own set of challenges, the pros and the cons, that you really need to consider when you're trying to find a job in the field. Not every place is meant for everybody, So really explore your options and think about who you are as a person before trying to go into a place. But we are going to start with my most favorite, which is a school setting. School settings pose different challenges that I haven't faced in other places. Uh, The biggest one of those being explaining my job to people. So I have had to explain my job to every single member of the school staff, from the principals to the janitor. I honestly really had to do that. Um, A lot of people don't really understand what our job is, especially if you're coming into a school district that has never heard of ABA or has never had anybody do any kind of behavioral interventions for them. They don't know what we are or what we do. They kind of understand the behavior analysts, but for the behavior technicians, they are confused. They think that we are paraprofessionals, which maybe some of you are, which is fine, that's great, but at the time I was not. I was hired in through the Educational Service Center and then placed in this specific school district. And they had no idea what I was and what I wasn't. And my job was to specifically be a behavior technician, not a paraprofessional. I wasn't a one-on-one. Well, not really. I started off as kind of like a one-on-one, but anyway. I had to like explain to a lot of people what I was, and it really upset people that I wasn't what they wanted me to be for a while. I had teachers be really angry with me. I had school staff saying really nasty things about me. I heard rumors going on about me, and it wasn't just in one school. I was in multiple different schools throughout this district, and it happened in every single one of them. Because everybody's already like stressed out and I don't want to be like, oh, it's okay that they were rude and mean to me, blah, 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 blah. No, I don't want to say that because it wasn't okay. However, I do kind of understand where they were coming from. Um, It was a really low income school district. All the teachers had a lot of heart and they cared a lot, but it was very frustrating for them to have another person come in and tell them that they needed to do something when they were already stretched so thin. So they didn't know what I was. I had them try to get me to do paraprofessional stuff that, I, again, I wasn't supposed to be doing, like the schoolwork with them and following them around all day and just kind of policing the child, I guess, instead of helping them behaviorally and teaching the educators how to kind of build that trust in between them and the client that I had. Um, I was a one-on-one, like I said in the beginning when I first started And the thing about being in a school is that your client can come and go. And what I mean by that is, is the district that I was in specifically, they would be there one day and then all of a sudden they would have been removed by the parent. Like they moved, there was no, 
there was no warning there was no nothing like they were literally there one day and then gone the next and I was like okay so then I would be assigned a different one and then a different one and again and again and I'm sure that different school districts are different that that doesn't always happen but that's my experience that's what just kept happening it happened honestly like three or four times before we decided to kind of switch up what I was doing so then I became a behavior technician for multiple classrooms and multiple children. And what I would do is they were all like in like the same vicinity. So like in the same little hallway. Um, honestly, we make like a square between the classrooms. It was like five feet between each of them. And I had clients in all of them. And I would kind of go in and I would check and I would teach the teachers how to do the behavioral interventions. Just like how to use like the token board and like a class-wide system that the behavior analyst had set in place. And it honestly went really well. I had a really good experience with that. We also did a lot of experimenting with the whole classroom thing because I was new at a school. My behavior analyst was new at the school. So we both kind of worked together to kind of figure out how to do school environments. And by the way, not all of my clients were on the autism spectrum. I had clients that were ODD, ADHD, ADD, uh, ED, and every single one of those teachers was T-I-R-E-D. Let me tell you, they were exhausted at the end of their row, which is sad. But in the school, I was able to help some of them, which made me happy, at least. I'm sure it made them happy, but I don't know. So some cons of working in the school is that a lot of people don't understand what we're doing there, why we're there, or what we are even capable of doing. Um, they also don't know or understand ABA. They've never heard of it. When they Google it, obviously, they see, like, the horrible ABA pasts of people being abused and manipulated and all these horrible, terrible, awful things. So then they think that we are also horrible, terrible, and awful. Um, another con is that we don't really get to meet and see the families too much. I know that I met my clients' families just, like, a handful of times, which I guess is fine, but... You don't really get to build a relationship with them. So if something that happens, you're like, well, who was the stranger? Why were they with them? What was going on? And you're like, okay, well, I have met you before, but, and you have to go through the whole thing of who you are and what you're doing and why you're working with their child and blah, 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 blah. And hopefully you have a really good behavior analyst working with you that will kind of step in and to protect you from all that there's a lot of repeating in a school system but there was for me like no this is what i am this is what i'm doing this blah blah blah, blah. anyway another con of working in a school would be the elopers and eloping means to run away so it's one of my least favorite things i am notoriously not fast a lot of people near and dear to me refer to me as moving at the speed of zero and they're not wrong i do just kind of weeble wobble about However, in a school system, you have to make sure that you wear your tennis shoes because these kids want to run out of the classroom and they want to leave it. If you're lucky, uh, the kids will just go and they'll run and they'll hide somewhere in the school. Now, if you're not lucky, like me, several times, they will run out of the room, they will run down the hall, out the doors, and then in the community, and they will just be gone. And... When that happens, when both scenarios happen, you want to make sure that you have tennis shoes on. Because flats and anything else, flats, slides, nothing compares to some laced up tennis shoes while you are barreling after a child. 
I have to go from zero to 100 real, real quick. It's super adrenaline inducing. You just got to be ready to go. You can't be sitting there twiddling your thumbs, playing on your phone, doing whatever you want to do. No, especially if you were like me and you had multiple different classrooms with different kids in them. I mean, I would hear footsteps just thundering down the hallway and I knew immediately I had to leave whatever room I was in and go make sure that it wasn't one of my babies and sure enough nine times out of ten it was one of mine screaming I'm free I'm free and going out that door oh my gosh so freaking stressful and another con for the school system is that sometimes you can't do certain things if the school administration doesn't want you to do them So, for example, if you have a client that is physically aggressive and they are currently, like, aggressing towards you, like, punching you, hitting you, just really just going at you, right? And oftentimes in the field, our tolerance for those certain things are higher than everybody else's. So, like, we would be de-escalating a situation like that and working through it and we're like, okay, like, we're going to power through. And after 45 minutes to an hour go by and the child is still just trying to aggress and we have moved them to a safe space where they could just do it freely without hurting themselves or other people. You know, they just keep going. The administration is probably going to want to call their parents and have the parents come pick them up. And we can't really be like, no, don't do that. We can advise like, hey, I don't really think that's a good idea. I think leaving the school is what they want to do. But overall, like the principals are in charge of the school and what they do, what they say goes. It's their school even if they're not your direct boss. You still want to make sure that you respect their wishes. It can be really frustrating at times because it's like, okay, well, I know what the VIP says and I have to follow it. They don't necessarily have to follow it. It's not a legally binding document like the IEP is. However, it's more of like a suggestion of this would be beneficial if we did this or that. And it's not always feasible in a school, which sucks. But it is what it is. So now let's talk about the pros of being in a school. Schools are my favorite setting to be in. And there's just, this is why, okay? Are you ready for this? You get every single school holiday off. Thanksgiving, winter break, spring break, Memorial Day, random little days in between, okay? And the most important one that you get off And I don't know if it's everywhere, but I get it paid summer vacation. I get a whole summer vacation off and paid for. Okay. It is amazing. It is beautiful. It has helped with a lot of burnout on my end. I'm able to have a life. I'm able to go out there and get hobbies and take little fun, little bitty classes like a pottery class and how to collect wild herbs okay? It is the best. I cannot recommend it enough. It is the absolute best thing I ever did for myself was getting a job in a school. Not to mention, I'm more of a morning person, so being able to go in at like 7, 7.30 is not a big deal for me because I get to leave at 3.30, between 3 and 3.30, almost every day. Most days. And the most days that I don't get to do that, guess what? I'm leaving at like 2 or 2.30. 2 or 2.30 every single day. And I get paid a salary. And 
and I get health insurance and death toll and vision. And it's great. It's great. <laughs> Whenever anybody asks me like point blank, like, oh, where do you think I should work? I'm a behavior technician. Where do you think I should work? I'm like a school system. You gotta go to the school system. Well, actually, let me rephrase that. If they're an experienced behavior technician, newbies should probably not go into the school system. It's very stressful, especially if you're brand new and you're not really sure what's going on. I've seen it happen a million times, but if you are experienced, I suggest the schools. I really highly suggest the schools. Another thing that I really like about the schools is that I had my behavior analyst in the same building as me every single day. Now, that's not the norm for a lot of places. Sometimes there's only one behavior analyst for an entire district, and there might be multiple different behavior technicians needing support. I was blessed this last school year into having one behavior analyst in one school with me 24-7. I had a lot of support. I learned a lot, and I really felt like I was like part of a team and making a difference, so I'm really grateful for that. But prior to that, I had been kind of isolated. I had been in a school where um, they were not very welcoming of me. Again, they didn't really understand what I was doing, but they also just like weren't wanting to. They were very unwelcoming. I was pretty much isolated and ostracized. I would go into like the lunchroom and people would not say hi to me. I'd be like, hi. And everyone would just like kind of side-eye me and look at me. And I could hear them like whispering about me right in front of me. I was like, okay. And eventually I just like went to go like eat out in my car because I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable with my presence just because of my job. But again, that was like the first year. So it didn't stay like that, obviously. Or I wouldn't be like, oh my God, yes, the school's a plan. But it was definitely difficult. It definitely really hurt my feelings. And I remember crying about it because I'm a big baby. And I was like, oh, <laughs> nobody wants to be my friend. But after that year, everything got better. And it was really, it was really nice. I really appreciate everything that had happened the year after that. All right. So the school system, main things to take away, some cons. People will judge you. They don't understand you. They don't know what's going on. Uh, the pros... Summer's off. That's it. That should be enough to convince you. Anyway, all right. So now we're going to move on to the community setting. Um, so what my understanding of the community setting for most people is that it's for older adults on the spectrum, mostly. Like, you can do other things with it, which is where I have the experience with it. But I know that most people who have gone out into the community work with older people who have special needs. Not me, though. Most of the time when I was in the community, I was with uh, younger children and we went to the dentist, we went to the doctor's office, we went and got our hair cut, we went to the restaurant, we went to a park, we went um, just walking on a sidewalk. And all those settings were really detrimental to them being able to become more independent and hopefully in the future they'll be able to do all of those things without any form of assistance, which is ultimately the main goal when we do think like that. I had one client where, you know, we were walking on the sidewalk mostly because whenever they would go out with their family, they would just randomly decide to dart out into the road or run so far down the sidewalk that they would just be gone. And, you know, they were terrified that something would happen and they would end up getting kidnapped because that's a very real possibility. So I would go and I walked with the client at first with their mother and we went, we worked on, you know, stopping it 
the crosswalk, we looked, worked on looking both ways, and most importantly, we worked on staying with mom, which was also kind of difficult, only because not only were they to stay with mom, but they were to stay with mom without holding on to mom. But we figured it out, we did it, and the client was successful in walking down to the corner store without mom, which I am sure gave both of them a like a sense of independence because before they could not go anywhere without one another. And now they're able to, and you're welcome if you're out there listening. I did that. You're welcome. So the most stressful place I've ever had to take somebody was to the dentist. Um, I've never known anybody to really like going to the dentist anyway, but this client really hated the dentist. And we had did some, like, desensitizing at home, like, with an electric toothbrush and brushing their teeth and all this other fun things. Like, I even dressed up like a dentist. Okay? Like, I was prepared. The client was great. We were all ready to go. So we get to this dentist who is supposed to have experience with people with special needs. And they just seemed really out of their element. They were already stressed out and asking me a billion questions that the parent the caregiver had already told them but they kept looking at me and asking me and I was like yeah let's just move on let's just get through this Mr. Dentist and he was just like okay 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 okay. so he was going he was going and then he decided I don't know what he was thinking but he just started like singing this song but it was like really high-pitched and weird like it was like wheels on the bus but he was like yelling it and it scared the client because obviously that's terrifying it would scare me too if you were just drilling on my face and then you're just wheels on the bus go round and round oh my poor baby just started screaming and crying and kicking and the dentist was like oh I don't know if we can finish I don't know if we can finish uh she's, she's you gotta stop her you gotta stop them you gotta stop them and we were like okay relax so me and the caregiver took them out of the dentist and they calmed down and everything And then we brought them back in and the dentist was like, so, you know, we're unable to continue today. Um, You can make another appointment to bring them in again next week or the week after. Thanks. Look forward to seeing you there. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, because you guys had left the building. So you guys lost the appointment. And I thought that that was really crappy because we had been really looking forward to this dentist appointment for weeks. We were ready. We were rearing to go. And it's not like the dentist wasn't, like, a reputable dentist. Like, people liked him. He had really great reviews. And uh, the caregiver had called and, like, confirmed that he had worked with people with special needs. He was like, oh, yeah, you know, that's fine. No matter the age or the disability, you know, we work with them. We were like, okay, cool. Apparently not. And I've had a lot of horrible times at the dentist, but that was one of the top ten most horrible times I've ever had at a dentist. I could not even believe it. Oh, also when you're out in the community and like somebody comes up to you, no matter who it is, they come up to you and they're like asking you questions about what you're doing with that kid, why you're doing it, who you are to them and all this other stuff. You legally cannot tell them that you are their behavior technician. It is a breach for HIPAA and it's not something that you can do. Um, I know that the clinic that I had worked at suggested telling people who asked that you were a family friend or that you were just like an aunt and uncle or like a nanny to the family, 
which I don't know. I don't like the family friend one specifically because I think it sounds kind of kidnappery. Like, oh, do you know who this person is? And God forbid your client be nonverbal. And they just are just like looking at this person like, oh my gosh, they're kidnapping this kid. And all of a sudden you're an inspiration for an SVU episode. And the cops are called and they're all coming after you and you have to explain who you are to the police so they don't arrest you and press charges for kidnapping or attempted kidnapping. And it just sounds horrible to me. Now that has never happened to me, but it is something that somebody told me could happen. And I was like, oh my God, why are we even doing it? I know why we're doing it. I know that it's beneficial, but still, like, I don't want to face kidnapping charges because I can't tell them that I'm a behavior technician. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, that's awful. But I really don't know anybody who has been exclusively in the community for their behavior technician work. I know that other settings also have some community work kind of put into them, like school settings for field trips or in-home settings for going to, like, the park and out to eat and stuff. Um, so I wouldn't really worry about that one too, too much, but also keep in mind that it could just be like a small minor part of everything else that you do. So some cons of working in the community would be stranger danger, um, possibly being on SVU and getting arrested for kidnapping. No, but really though, just being out in the community can be a little bit dangerous. Um, everything is really unruly. You're not really able to manipulate the environment or predict antecedents as strictly as you could in other settings. And there's overall more of a risk that something could go wrong and it's too stressful for me. But some of the pros are that you get to really expose the client and their family to real world scenarios like eating at a restaurant, how to be socially appropriate at a park, how to keep safe hands with strangers, and really just assist everybody in how to go about their daily lives just out in the world. Which brings us to our next setting is in-home, which is the opposite of going out into the world. Now, in-home is not my favorite. I don't like going into other people's homes. I have pretty bad anxiety, and I'm too socially awkward for it. The family's always around. There are siblings, grandmas and grandpas, and I just, it's too much. It is too much. And each family is super different. You know, you're going to come into contact with people who have a different culture than you, and you have to make sure that you are very much aware of their cultural differences and how things need to be operating in their home. Such as if I'm going somewhere and I know that women need to be dressed more modestly, I will really try to make sure that I don't wear anything that's going to offend them, like pants. If they're in a household where, you know, women need to be wearing skirts and stockings, I will do my best to try and meet that requirement for them because I don't want them to feel uncomfortable and I don't want them to feel like I'm trying to influence their child in any which way. I'm just trying to go in there and do my job and I don't want to cause any unneeded stress. I know that some people have a real issue with that, that they want to wear whatever they want to wear and that some people have their own cultures where they can't wear or do certain things. And I think that it's just really important that when you are working in an in-home setting that you just are aware of that and that people are going to be different from you and expect different things from you and how you act and how you dress and how you present yourself, which could become another barrier because, you know, some cultures, women are not respected on the same level as men. So then I've had issues speaking with fathers because they don't respect me as a woman because I'm a woman and my opinion to them does not matter. However, 
if a male presence was around, they would listen to them even if they said the same thing that I did, which drives me crazy, honestly. And is it right? Maybe not. Is it their culture? Uh, yes. Is it our place to judge somebody else's culture while in their own home? No. No, it's not. Now, that being said, just because we are in somebody's home does not mean that they get to abuse us. Not mentally, not physically, not emotionally, not verbally, none of it. And if something like that is happening to you in home, you need to say something. And if nothing happens, then you need to quit because that is ridiculous. You are a person. You are not a thing. And just because they are paying for your services in the household does not mean that they get to treat you however they want to treat you. When I was freshly starting out as a behavior technician, I was put in home in multiple different homes. And one of those homes had a caregiver in them that was just so, so rude to me. And I was just taking it. I thought, you know, this is just part of the job. This is what I signed up for. It's something I just have to do. And I was trying to be a great behavior tech. I was trying to have great customer service. I didn't want to represent the company in a bad light. I didn't want to represent myself in a bad light. But this person was not kind to me at all. They were attacking everything that I was doing. They started taunting me almost. They did whatever they could, I think, to make me as uncomfortable as possible. And I'm pretty sure that they were like that to the other people in their home too. But they actually really did hurt my feelings. And I was just trying to do a good job because I had just become a behavior technician. And I was already feeling a little bit insecure. But they just really like nailed it home. Like they made everything just worse off for me. And I remember going into the home and being so nervous. My heart was beating a million miles a minute. My stomach hurt. But I was like, you know, this is just part of the job. Being uncomfortable is just part of the job. I got to go in, do my best and just get out. And I did tell my behavior analyst at the time kind of what was going on and how I felt. But they... I think thought the same as me where it was just like, oh, well, you're new, you'll get used to it, yada, yada, yada. And that just wasn't the case for this one specifically because they were just, they were really awful. And I let myself be abused by them because I thought I was doing something great for their child. Like, it was like, okay, well, I guess I'll have to take this because this is benefiting this child, which is not even true because then they got to see me just be verbally abused by one of their caregivers. And it was like, great. But that's not to say that I didn't have some really wonderful times during an in-home session too. I had these, this one client that would just really love to go outside and like look at nature. So we would go out and we would do some NET out there, which is naturalistic training where you use the environment and the, whatever the kid is doing, like a free flow learning thing, which was always really fun to do. I really enjoyed doing stuff like that. And also in home, you're kind of in your client's own environment, right? You're in where they are at 90% of their life, where all their things are, where their family's at, and it's more of a comfortable environment for them. So it makes things like uh, teaching how to do teeth brushing easier or helping them and their families establish a morning routine to help them get their day started and going and everything running smoothly. And it's also a great place to teach parents how to work with their children and how to do specific things when specific situations arise. Like if they start having an aggression and freaking out because they wanted an apple, but apples aren't available right now. And just how to like help them work through that. It's really rewarding. Um, 
doing some parent teachings when the parents are super receptive to what's going on. It, both of you can see the success. So both you and the caregivers are able to see the success that you are having, which is really cool. So some pros and cons of working in home would be, we'll start with cons. So the cons would be that uh, sometimes parents can be abusive, <laughs> which I know really isn't like funny. But like, that's my experience. Um, and again, like not all the parents were like that, but it still happened to me. And it's one of the main reasons why I don't like doing in home. Another reason why I don't like in home is because frequently the supervisions are virtual. And that's really hard, especially when you're a new tech and you're not fully confident in your abilities or what everything means. It can make things just that much harder and you feel really unsupported and it's really easy to feel isolated that way. So if you are just starting out and you've heard all these and you're like, well, I don't know what to do now, I would highly suggest starting in a clinic. Clinic-based behavior technicians have the opportunity to be able to work with other behavior technicians, some that have been there for a while. They can see others like them that have just started. It's better to be like closer to like the supervisors. So, you know, you'll get to actually meet your clinical director instead of just hearing that they exist. Um, you'll have more access to your behavior analyst, to your admin, and just being able to, again, go back to uh, being with the other behavior technicians. It's easier to kind of have a more stable, like, mental health aspect of it in a clinic when you have other techs that you can um, talk to and they can, like, understand your experiences which is often isolating in the other fields, or not the other fields, the other settings, just because you're often just by yourself. But in a clinic, you know, there's other people there, there's other rooms you can go to, um, socializing your clients easier, just overall, like, when you're starting out, the clinic is the way to go. Or if you're not very good at working on your own, like, without constant supervision, um, that's what I would do. Um, and in clinics, if you are not already registered to be a behavior technician, a lot of them offer their own trainings and will pay you to actually take the training. Um, that way you don't actually have to do, like, do it yourself and try to get certified before you go in there. You get paid to do the 40 hours. They pay for um, you to take the test, at least the first time. That's what mine did, which was really cool because I didn't understand that at all. It was also where I felt um, the safest to work at was inside of the clinic too. And again, I think it's just that support aspect of it. And this is like a really hard job. It's not easy at all, despite what anybody says. Um, and it's important to have support from other people. I am still friends with some of my um, old technician friends that I had made in the clinic, whereas like other places, like not so much. Just because, you know, we went through those things together. Whatever happened in the clinic, we went through it together. And it made the experience just like that much easier. So those are like all the places that you can work, you know, the classic places that you can work. So the types of questions that you need to be asking in your interviews obviously have to do with your salary, the benefits, and the type of support that you get. And I always like to ask um, how many behavior techs per behavior analyst, just because um, behavior analysts can have up to 10, I believe, behavior technicians on their caseload that they need to supervise. And when it gets that, that high of a number, they are often not available for supervision 
or for assistance whenever you need help readily. There are often times when, you know, like they will be, but they have to give 5% of worked hours per behavior tech. And if they have 10 behavior techs that they need to supervise, and let's say each one of them works 40 hours a week, it's a lot of their time is spent in supervisions with other techs. So they might not have enough time to dedicate to you, especially if you're brand new. Now, for the compensation part, there are some places that will advertise paying uh, behavior techs. And I'm in Ohio, so just base this off of whatever Ohio pay standards are. But they said that um, they pay between like $27 and $30 an hour, which is cool. Like that kinds of job is like really enticing. However, when they do that, more often than not, after you finish your 40-hour training, they bump you down to, let's say, like 35 hours a week. And they consider 35 hours a week to be full-time. And they tell you that that's okay because they offer benefits at 35 hours a week, which if you don't want to work 40 hours a week, I guess that's fine, but you don't get paid 40 hours a week. You know what I mean? And that's just a maybe. Often times when places offer the 27 to $30 an hour, you'll be working five to 10 hours a week. I have asked, I've had so many interviews at places. And after I heard that, I'm like, okay, no. And you should also make sure that um, they offer benefits because there are going to be times when you're going to absolutely need to go to the doctor and you're not going to be able to because you don't have insurance. And frequently, a lot of places don't really have insurance for um, behavior techs. They'll have it for the behavior analysts, but not for the technicians. Um, the ones that do have it, I found, are often like more expensive, like the insurance is more expensive. So if you're not making the $30 an hour for 40 hours a week, it becomes more of a burden than anything else. So that's just like something to think about. And then if you are extra concerned about the insurance like I am, ask about what kind of plans that they carry so you can like look up and see if it's even worth it to even have that insurance and uh, at that job. So the kinds of questions other than that that I think that it's really important for you to ask are like, how often do you get paid? Some places pay monthly, which is horrible. I've had to be paid monthly before and it's just not great. Um, a lot of places pay bi-weekly. Right now at the school, I get paid whenever the teachers get paid, which is on the 15th and the last day of the month. So either the 30th or the 31st. So you just want to make sure you clarify that. And then, um, oh yeah, if you choose to do in-home therapy, make sure that you're asking about like drive time and if they offer um, distance and mileage and stuff like that because you are putting wear and tear on your car, which is not something that I thought about when I was doing in-home was how much gas and how much mileage I was actually putting on my car. And I had to kind of like, fight a little bit for the uh, mileage pay. And then I like to be a little bit extra in my interviews, especially now that I've developed this passion for helping behavior technicians. And I've been asking them, like, what do they do for moral support? Or like, you know, like boost morale or things that they do to make um, behavior technicians feel comfortable and part of the team and invited. Um, and, you know, like I'll get things like, oh, uh, taco party or yeah like we had a food truck come in and that's that's cool those are cool things however like the situations and circumstances they had it set up 
like they had it go to like a central location and if the techs were available, they were able to go to that location to get food. And the job was like half in home, half in clinic. So if you happen to be in home instead of like in the clinic that day and the food truck was like at the clinic, like you had to leave the home, drive all the way to the clinic to get your free food and then drive all the way back and hope that you got back in time for like your break to be over and for you to like, you know, restart your session. And that really sucked. I hated that very much because I was the person that had to drive from in home to a clinic one time. And it's just not fun. And other places that I've asked have adopted like the same thing. And I get where they're coming from, but it doesn't work. It sucks for other people. <sighs> Sorry. Anyway, there's like a hundred billion questions that I could think of for you guys to say and ask for uh, in these interviews. But I'm just going to leave you guys with this last one, which would be to ask about materials. Some places want you to supply your own materials. So a little baggie that you fill with like your own reinforcers and you don't get like compensated for like anything else that you, you like get for the job. Don't take that job because you are working. You should not have to pay money to do your own job. It's, you're not running your own business. You're working for somebody else. You shouldn't have to pay for your own materials. And they try to get you by telling you that you can have like a tax write-off for it, but that's not okay. It's not okay. Don't do that. Don't work at that job because they don't value you. They don't value your time. They don't value your money. Like, mm -mm, don't do that. But if you would like a list of more questions that you should probably ask during your little RBT interviews, you can look up my uh, Facebook Behavior Techs Anonymous group that is just for behavior technicians. And then you can also go on my Instagram. I will be uploading stuff there for Behavior Techs Anonymous. And if you would like some advice or specifics on what you would like to say or ask um, during your interviews, you can go ahead and you can email me at hello at behaviortextanonymous.com, H-E-L-L-O at behaviortextanonymous.com. Thank you so much for coming to this meeting. I hope that it was helpful. Please feel free to like and share this podcast. And I look forward to seeing you guys at the next Behavior Text Anonymous meeting.